Sleigh bells ring Are you listening? In the lane Snow is glistening A beautiful sight We're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Hello, this is Sydney Moon And welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast Where we share our love for the holidays with you Year round I will be talking about where to donate used or old clothes to charity. This is Beth. I am going to be talking about my second animal in the Animals That Thrive in the Snow series, mini-series, and I will be talking about the Arctic Fox. And this is Randy, and I will be talking about a super scary threat on the roads called Black Ice. We have lots of holiday happenings over this past week. For instance, last podcast we were talking about potential snow, which we did get. It wasn't nearly as much as they said it was going to be. I think we had... Um, almost was, four inches. Yeah, almost like four-ish kind of inches. They were predicting six to... Six to eight or something? No, no. It was like six to 12. It was crazy mm-hmm. what they were yeah. predicting. So we didn't get as much, but it was beautiful. It was very pretty, and it was enough such that it was also Groundhog Day on Tuesday, and Punxsutawney Phil must have been covered with snow because he predicted six more weeks of winter, which is actually unusual for him. He likes to predict early spring? Yes, he normally predicts early spring. So he predicted six more weeks of winter, and then today we had a sudden snowstorm that came through overnight that put, uh, you know, I'd say probably a couple inches, another layer of snow out in the yard. Pretty for pictures. Um, it's really nice out there. Although it is already like 40 degrees outside. So it's starting to clump off the trees and the <laughs> roads are pretty clear, which is nice. So, so we had to um, enjoy it while we could. Yes, in the morning. A few other things. We also had family game night last night with Cole and Kelia, his girlfriend, and all of us. So that was a lot of fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. Today is Super Bowl Sunday where the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers compete against each other for the title of Super Bowl champions. So we'll see who wins that. I don't really have strong feelings. I think Cole is rooting for Tampa Bay. I don't really have strong feelings either way. I have not watched any of the commercials ahead of time. Have you guys seen commercials online? No. For this year? Yeah, so they had a few that they released online, but I haven't watched any of those. So that'll be interesting to see during the Super Bowl. And the last holiday happening is Michael's, the craft store, is now front and center Easter stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Funny. So beginning of February and the Easter stuff is out in force. Yep. So lots of interesting and fun things going on this week. And I know we're calling for more snow in the week ahead. And next weekend is Valentine's Day. So I'm sure we'll have more holiday happenings then as well. Definitely. Well, thank you for those fun holiday happenings. So moving on from winter to spring, so thank you for that Easter transition. <laughs> there you go. Because it has been very cold outside and we have been having snowstorms here in Virginia, a lot of people might be huddled inside in their warm houses. And while you're inside, you might as well use this opportunity to go through your old clothes and figure out what you want to get rid of. You don't have to wait for spring to do some spring cleaning. Good thinking. Yeah, so although people could sell things on eBay or Craigslist, you might not have the patience for it. It would be a good idea to gather all of your unwanted clothes and drop them off at a charity once a year or more. 
Or more. More than a year. (laughs) Anytime you need to get rid of your old clothes, right? So definitely also make sure that you get a receipt upon your donation as you'll get tax deductions for said donation. So here are a few places to go to. And so next time I have a topic, I will talk about more about thrift stores. So where to donate nationally? You have the American Red Cross. And I got all this information from moneycrashers.com and goodhousekeeping.com. So there's a lot of different places online that you could research to find this information. And a lot of the places and suggestions overlapped. So here's um, places to donate nationally. The American Red Cross. So clothing you donate to the American Red Cross benefits victims of natural disasters. For example, the American Red Cross provided much needed clothing to the Gulf Coast evacuees during Hurricane Katrina and for Houston area evacuees during Hurricane Ike. Currently, the Red Cross needs clothing for men, women, and children as well as shoes, purses, and other accessories. You can also donate linens and small toys. You can schedule a pickup online through the American Red Cross Clothing Drive website, which I think is very useful. It's very useful. Um, It's probably not a blanket one though, right? Not, like not every community might have that option. Yeah, you'll have to look at the website. Yeah. Another place is the Vietnam Veterans of America, or the VVA. They provide support and services for veterans returning home after serving. These services include counseling, hospital treatments, and aid for homeless and disabled vets. The VVA sells donated items in resale shops, and the proceeds benefit the charity. The VVA accepts clothing, shoes, and accessories in good condition. And again, it says you can schedule pickup online through the Pickup Please website, although, you know, double check that they can do that to your area. Another place is the Salvation Army. The Salvation, and this is the place that we like to, or we tend to donate a lot. Yeah. We do, we donate a lot of things here. Yes. So this says that the Salvation Army accepts clothing for men, women, and children in good condition. Your donations toward stocking Salvation Army family stores and proceeds from these stores help fund the Salvation Army's adult rehabilitation centers. You can find a drop-off point or schedule pickup online through the Salvation Army donation site. We have a place in town, so that's just convenient That you drop us. off, yeah. yeah. And that you can pick up a receipt. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Something that I've been hearing you say a couple times, items in good condition. And I think that's important to emphasize. You're right. Because some people think, oh, this has a hole in it. I'm not going to wear it anymore, so I'll give it away. Don't give those away. <laughs> Throw those away. No one else wants your holy shirts. Exactly. <clears throat> so that is a very good point, Mom. Thank you for making that. I thought this was interesting. It's called Dress for Success. It is an organization. Unemployed, low-income women often lack the funds they need to buy professional clothing for job interviews. Dress for Success provides these women with business attire for their job interviews and a week's worth of outfits when they find employment. Charity does not pick up donations, but you can find a drop-off location in your area, or a area, on the Dress for Success website. So I thought that was very interesting. That's very specific mm-hmm. thing. So if you are somebody who has a lot of business attire, that would be a great place to drop it off. Exactly, exactly. And kind of flip the coin, there is Career Gear. Career Gear helps low-income men get the clothing and toiletries they need for job interviews. Career gear needs suits, 
formal shoes, and professional men's clothing and toiletries. You can ship your donations or drop them off if you live in the New York City area. You'll receive a tax receipt by email, which I thought was another good idea. It is a good idea. Um, for detailed instructions on shipping, visit the Career Gear website. So the next one is Big Brother, Big Sister Foundation. So this takes me back to college. When I was in college, as a part of my senior year, I had to do a kind of senior year capstone in which I had a class, but I also had to partner with an organization outside of the school. And they gave suggestions and I ended up, it wasn't really an internship, but partnering with a Big Brother, Big Sister Foundation in Harrisonburg, Virginia. This is near James Madison University. And it is a really fantastic organization. People were great. I really admired what they did in the community. So the Big Brother Big Sister Foundation pairs at-risk kids with adult mentors. The foundation accepts any type of clothing in good condition. Your donations go to the foundation's resale stores and up to 100% of the proceeds benefit the charity. You can schedule a pickup online through the Big Brother Big Sister Foundation website or drop it off at your local Big Brother Big Sister Foundation. Um, just check on what's available around you. Yeah, so this is also interesting. And if you're interested in becoming a mentor to children, this is another opportunity that you can take to do so. Planet Aid. Planet Aid's mission is to create a sustainable environment while helping charities at the same time. Planet Aid has a number of drop-off bins around the country and the charity accepts clothing for men, women, and children. You have Savers. Savers help local nonprofit groups host clothing drives. A local charity collects clothing from their supporters and turns the donated goods over to Savers. Savers pays the local charity based on the amount of merchandise collected. Savers also pays nonprofits anytime you drop off a donation at the donation center. In addition to clothes, Savers accepts small household items, DVDs, books, and other media items. There's also something called Donate My Dress. Donate My Dress is a national network made of local nonprofits. These nonprofits collect new and gently used formal dresses, which are donated to low income women so that they have the dress of their dreams for a special occasion, like high school prom night. Nice. Yeah. A friend of mine did that through her church. Oh, really? And she loved it. She said really? it was so fun seeing people come in who mm -hmm. couldn't afford prom dress, and they got to try things on and choose the one they loved. She, she just thought it would... She had a great time with that. Good. Yeah, it was a win-win. That sounds like a really good donation then. Uh, but again, you can find more information on their website and their locations. And then you have Goodwill. So Goodwill provides community outreach for low-income families and individuals... Goodwill has a resale shop, and the proceeds benefit the charity. You can donate clothing for men, women, and kids, and you can find more information on their website. I feel like Goodwill is one another well-known It's very well-known, yeah. To donate. So where to donate locally? So as you mentioned, you can donate to your local churches. Most churches accept many different types of donations, including clothing. Often the clothing is given to other church members or they have, like you were saying, allow people to come in and try on different things and basically to the community itself. And it's important to contact the churches before dropping things off because not all of them do that. They yes. all have different programs and some of right. them have connections to the charities that are locally in their area too. Right. So, so you they can drop, recommend. They become like a drop off point. 
sometimes, or they can recommend. Yeah. And even um, when you do donate, I would still suggest receiving a receipt of some sort from them for tax purposes as well. Yeah. So make sure you talk to them about that. You have community outreach centers. They often accept clothing donations, and any clothing you donate will be given to a needy family in your area. For example, some community outreach centers do an annual clothing drive to collect school uniforms, coats, and play coats for low-income kids in the area. So definitely um, take a look around your area and see what's up. Homeless shelters and missions. The main goal of a homeless shelter or mission is to provide people with a safe place to stay, but many shelters also accept clothing donations. These shelters accept all kinds of clothing, but have a serious need for coats and warm blankets during the cold winter months. I would add on to this. So it was interesting, again, when I was at college, I went to a church. It was in the evening, and I was a part of this small group, and the leader of this Christian small group would go to the church and collect homeless. Basically, the church would house homeless people like for a week or so. And they had a community of churches that would do that. So it's like a one church would take a week. Right. So a lot of times, it. like throughout the winter, mm-hmm. churches would would take turns right. doing this mm-hmm. for the week. Yes. Yeah. And they provided different services, which I thought was very interesting, like um, hairdressers, barbers. In my small group, the leader of our small group, they trusted her enough to give her their clothing. She would take it to a laundromat oh, wow. and wash it for them, and then we would bring it back to them. That's so nice. Yeah, but that's a level of like trust that they had with this community. Mm-hmm. So you never know um, what is in your community and what is already set up. So even if you don't have clothes, if maybe you have a particular skill to um, to use to yeah, help others, yeah, to t- help others, you know, definitely look around for that opportunity as well. I would also add to that socks. Socks and underwear, yes, is another thing. Socks, socks. I've always heard is a huge thing for people mm-hmm. who are homeless, yeah, or in need. Warm socks are vital, yeah. And I've heard underwear, soap. So I mean, obviously, like different churches also sometimes have these like bags for the sharing bags. Yeah, or sharing bags for the homeless, and they have like socks, soap, and different things like that in yeah, there. Yeah, some personal toiletry items, personal toiletry some items, female products. That's another thing to donate as well. It is. They're very, very expensive. They are. So that would be great as long as the place accepted them and distributed them well. Yeah. And I would say after watching, and I mean, there's tons of information out on the internet, right? And I've seen a lot of um, interviews with homeless women. And it's just interesting what they've had to deal with in regards to their toiletries. So that is another really good thing to donate as well if you're looking to donate. We have locally a domestic abuse organization for mm-hmm. women called the Phoenix Project here in Front Royal. Mm-hmm. Excellent program. A friend of mine is the director of that, and they could always use things like that. So that's yeah. something, if you know your local area, or that's something maybe to investigate. See if yeah. maybe you could find a place like that. Absolutely. And the last thing uh, I'm going to mention is thrift stores. While some secondhand thrift stores are for-profit, You can still do some good in your community by donating your unwanted clothes in good condition, I would add. Thrift stores resell clothing at rock bottom prices, which are affordable to low income families. You will not receive a tax break for dropping off your clothing, but you will help people out in the community. So um, again, I I might talk more about nonprofit, for-profit 
and different thrift stores during my next topic because I think that's just good information to know in general. Um, there are other charities to donate coats, like one warm coat during the winter months as well. So yeah, just definitely check out your area and do research in general because you might be able to ship or just find a drop-off place near you for different charities. Excellent. And it always feels good mm -hmm. to know that you're helping others. I mean, I would rather give my things away than mm -hmm. sell them. And people can sell them too. That's, I'm not saying not to. I'm just saying there's a certain level of it feels good to give. Yeah, definitely. Sydney, I love that. That was a lot of information. That was really interesting. Thank you. And helpful. Yeah, it is. So I'm moving on to, our, to my mini-series of... Animals that thrive in the snow and the Arctic fox. I have to say, I am having a lot of fun with this series. Good. I chose this series because I thought, oh, that would be interesting. And I'm actually really enjoying it and finding a lot of good information about these animals that you know about, but not extensively or not really even in depth at all yeah. <laughs> for me. So, okay, the Arctic fox. And I found so many pictures and their winter white fur. Mm -hmm. They are gorgeous. Very different in the summer, but I'll get into that. So the Arctic foxes are sometimes called the polar fox, white fox, or snow fox. They live their whole lives above the northern tree line in the Arctic tundra. Burr. Their entire lives. The Arctic fox is a member of the, I think you pronounce it Canidae family of animals, C-A-N-I-D-A-E. But it's basically the canine mm. family of animals, which includes other foxes, domestic dogs, wolves, coyotes, jackals, and dingoes. I always think that's a funny word. Dingoes. Dingo ate my birthday cake. <laughs> that's, a, that's a birthday card that Randy and I always <laughs> got a kick out of. <laughs> Dingo ate my birthday cake. Anyway, the average length of an Arctic fox is from a little over two feet to about three and a half feet including their tail that is around a foot long, about 12 inches. So that's about a third of their body. The females are slightly smaller than the males. Now, Arctic foxes form monogamous pairs through breeding season. And breeding season is really not very long. It looks like it's about April through May. I had read somewhere that there are monogamous period that they mate for life. But in this particular research said they are monogamous through a breeding season. And I thought, you know, if it's only two months, that's really not all that impressive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm not sure which is correct. So you can look that up yourselves and find out what you see. Often several females will live together in a large and complex den that can be many years old and even centuries. And this is true. They are a complex series of these dens that can be centuries years old oh wow isn't that fascinating mm -hmm. and it makes sense because it's frozen ground you know you're not gonna have anything that makes it fall or or that damages it so typically they have litters of five to eight but they can have litters up to 25 oh my heavens the most of any carnivore Sometimes young, non-breeding foxes will live in the den also and help to raise the pups from the following year. So the diet, they have a wide range of foods. Their main prey is lemmings. Lemmings? What do you think of when you hear the word lemmings? I think of that wilderness show where they showed the lemmings go off the cliff because they followed 
the leader of the lemmings right. off the cliff. Because you have that phrase of don't be a lemming, which means don't be a blind follower. Exactly. Is that what you think? Mm-hmm. So he's like, sure. Well, that's what I think too. I thought of the Zootopia movie where they're selling illegal popsicles and one lemming got out of line and then the whole entire line followed him and they yeah. all of them ate popsicles. So it's, <laughs> so it's this cultural phenomenon that actually may not have been That's true. That's right. There was a forced fall off the cliffs. That's so sad. It was very sad. That, that reminds me, though, of Penguins in Madagascar where they chuck the baby penguins yes. in. Yes. Just to uh, appear interesting. On the, yes. On, yeah. the, on the documentary. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> This is a cartoon, by the way. Penguins of Madagascar. Okay, I'll just pause to say, greatest movie ever. All right. (laughs) right. That's a little bit debatable. but So, lemmings are small, burrowing rodents that live in the Arctic regions. And they look like mean hamsters. They're very, very fierce. A lemming has been known to attack a sled dog. So, and they... And they reproduce at a crazy rate. You know, I always think of these kind of placid, just kind of almost like hamster-like things. Like yeah, just large kind of hamsters. plodding along. They're not. They're oh. fierce little things. They're like wow. um, little Tasmanian devils. Yeah, they're mean little hamsters. And that's the Arctic fox's main food source. Correct. Wow. A family of foxes can get through several dozen lemmings in a day. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Good thing they produce really fast. And they do. Hmm. So they also hunt and catch other small animals and will also scavenge food and leftovers from predators such as the polar bear. They will also take eggs from tundra nesting birds when possible. So the Arctic fox lives its whole life above the northern tree line in the Arctic tundra, as I said. It has found its way to most Arctic islands and is the only mammal native to Iceland. It can be found on sea ice in winter to extend oh. its foraging range. Oh, wow. The southern limit of the Arctic fox is partially dictated by the presence of red foxes, which outcompete the Arctic foxes in areas where the tundra turns into the shrubs and trees. Oh. So the Arctic foxes stay north of that. The predators to the Arctic fox are polar bears, wolverines, red foxes, and golden eagles. They have been trapped for their thick winter coats, that beautiful white fur. And they sometimes still are by local natives. But due to the awareness in the fur industry, not using actual fur and having faux fur as an alternative, they are not as hunted anymore. So that's... That's good. yeah, Yeah, that's good. The Arctic fox is in a really, really difficult environment. Right. So it has, there have been adaptations that have been made to this fox to survive in such harsh conditions. Physically, compared to other species of foxes, the Arctic foxes have proportionally shorter legs, shorter necks, and smaller ears. This means there's less surface area to lose heat from compared to the more slender southern foxes. They have thick, camouflaged, seasonal fur. So the coat of the Arctic fox is always thick and highly insulating. They grow two distinct versions over the course of a year. The summer coat is thinner and dark gray to brown. 
the color allowing it to be camouflaged against the darker background of the rocks and vegetation when the ice and snow of winter melted. Their luxurious winter coat is very thick, making the fox look more rounded and is white, so camouflaging it against the frozen background is much more easy. That happens to me, too. My coat makes me look more rounded in the winter. (laughs) I I think a lot of us have that. (laughs) A lot of our coats are a little more rounded in the winter. And then another aspect of the fur that is very interesting is that the thick fur also keeps the fox's body at a warm 104 degrees. Oh, nice and toasty. Wow. Nice and toasty. So they can endure temperatures as low as negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy crap. Oh my goodness. Right? Wow. Because you think... They look so cute. It's so... I know. I have pictures over here. (laughs) And it's like, it's all cute. It's like sleeping and... You know, it's like, how do they even, how do they survive? I know. I mean, it's such harsh conditions physically. Also, they have thick fur on their tail. The tail acts to provide extra insulation when it's needed. Maybe that's why Onyx, our cat that Cole has, has the plume of a tail for extra insulation. Or maybe She could if she actually utilized it. But hers is just pretty. Yeah. Just like her. It's a good thing she's pretty. (laughs) She doesn't have a lot of... She doesn't have a great personality, but she's super pretty. When the fox is active in generating heat, the tail is out of the way. When the fox curls up to sleep or keep warm in extreme cold, it can wrap its tail around it, and it's like a warm blanket. So interesting. It looks super cute while sleeping, too. So cute, with its little eyes close, his little tail around it. Like the polar bear, it has thick fur on its paws to insulate them from the snow and ice and also provide grip on the slippery surfaces. It has a thick layer of body fat for insulation and food storage to help survive the winter when the food supply may be intermittent. We just get round from that fur coat. (laughs) Our food supply is not intermittent. (laughs) It's not. And then it also has a very keen sense of hearing. What's that? (laughs) Funny. Though small, the ears of the Arctic foxes are pointed forward and are very directional. They can hear their main prey, the lemmings, moving through tunnels they make in the snow, allowing the fox to pounce on the area where the sound is coming from without needing to see their prey and without the prey being aware that the fox is about to pounce. Wow. They shelter in burrows they dig in the snow during blizzards and very cold weather. So if a blizzard comes up or if it's exceptionally cold, they will burrow in the snow. It's a relatively quick and easy way of avoiding the worst of the weather and avoid the biting wind and gain an extra insulation from the snow. While the temperature in the snow hole is still below freezing, it can be much higher than outside than in the bitter wind. As I said before, they can have very large litters. The population size of Arctic foxes is actually tied very closely to the population size of their main prey, which we now know is the lemmings. Lemmings Lemmings can breed very quickly in good conditions, though are short-lived. The ability of the Arctic fox to keep up with their reproductive rate to some degree gives them the ability to take advantage of their productive years. I thought that was just a little interesting extra something. Technically, the Arctic fox is an omnivore, although it prefers being a carnivore. It will eat berries or seaweed when it can't find prey elsewhere, and it has to. But by far, it prefers the carnivore. 
So the Arctic fox is a hardy, adaptive little canine that was very interesting to learn more about. Wow. Really interesting. Yeah, very fun. Another fun, cold weather, enjoying animal. I know. It's amazing how these animals are made to live in these harsh conditions. And speaking of harsh conditions, what is something that mom, Beth, used to always tell us in the morning, (gasps) driving out in the winter months? Be careful of black ice. Yes. Well, and the funny thing is, is that you can't actually watch out for black ice. It's not visible. It's impossible to see. It is. That's why you have to be careful all the time. <laughs> Vigilance. That's right. <laughs> because it often disguises itself as an innocent puddle of water on the road, luring innocent drivers <laughs> into complacency. Wow, that sounds like a lot for something that, you know, isn't sentient. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as we know. <laughs> I watch a lot of Star Trek, so it could uh, be well, sentient. That's true. A lot of times it happens overnight, uh, making cold, sunless winter mornings the most likely time for drivers to find patches of it. Um, There are lots of helpful guides on how to drive if you actually hit a patch of black ice, so we'll talk about that in a bit as well. But let's first talk about how does black ice form? Where does it come from? So first of all, you need to know that black ice can form on a sunny day just as well as it can form on a cloudy day. Uh, When the sun warms up the road surface and any slushy stuff melts, ice can form, even though it feels warmer at your height. The ground itself could be cold enough, could freeze the ice to form a layer of black ice. That sucks. Yes. Uh, So it's actually perfectly clear if it really is black ice. It has no trapped air bubbles and no swirls in it, also technically known as occlusions. That would make it visible. White ice... As uh, people are probably more familiar with, uh, they think of like icicles or ice, ice skating. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. That is filled with swirls or occlusions, which it makes it visible. Black ice, on the other hand, has no imperfections, so it's perfectly clear. It's only black because you can see through it, basically. And it's black because the pavement is black underneath of it. So if you think about it, before there was pavement, uh, there wasn't black ice. There would have been brown ice. Dirt ice. Dirt ice. Yeah, so... Cobblestone ice? Cobblestone ice. I don't know. It had to be smooth and very thin. So in order to achieve that level of clear perfection, so you don't have the occlusions or the swirls or bubbles in it, a couple things have to happen. First, there has to be a little bit of water, and the water has to fall down gently, right? So it can't have been windy that day or splashy. From heavy rains in order for you to get black ice because that would show the occlusions uh, along the way. So slowly melting ice seeping back onto the pavement can lead to black ice as the water refreezes along the way. So overnight melted snow is often a place that you can find black ice often in shady areas as well. And because of the way the water gently lays itself down it freezes in a thin layer which adds to the difficulty in seeing it, right? So it's invisible and it's very thin along the way. It might just look like a wet patch of road until you drive over it. And it's so thin that, uh, like we were talking about, it can form even when the air temperature is above freezing. And it's been shown that even if you are feeling the temperature at 40 degrees, that the black ice can still form on the road, depending on the temperature of the surface underneath the road. Wow. 
That's why they always say, you know, bridges can be icier, can be but worse conditions than the ground because underneath it is all that cold air. Right. In fact, Mm -hmm. bridges and uh, overpasses can be a big place for black ice to form because of just what Beth was talking about. The air is basically wrapped around those areas, keeping it nice and cold at the surface level. So black ice likes to hang out where the sun doesn't shine. So if you're in a city, that means tunnels and underpasses. You actually can get black ice from just the moisture coming out of car tailpipes. So if you're in an area that has a lot of cars gathered that accumulates that dripping water, you can get black ice in places like that, in cities and things like that along the way. If you're in the rural area, you're more likely to get black ice from under trees, you know, with branches that are dripping onto the road. It's generally in shady areas. So there's five things you need to know about black ice. First of all, like we said, it's impossible to spot. And in fact, often there's, you know, you can get a light dusting of snow on top of the black ice, making it even more dangerous because you're not ready for it. Second thing, we talked about warm temperatures often fool people into believing there's no ice. And we know that because of the cold ground temperatures, that's what really causes the ice to form. Third, all types of ice can be difficult to walk across. But black ice is especially tricky because Friction on ice decreases as temperatures rise close to or above the freezing point. So this can result in a wet layer on the surface of the black ice. Under those conditions, it's nearly impossible to walk safely over the ice unless you have traction cleats or know how to ice walk. Fourth, there may be no obvious source of ice. Often we think of ice being caused by kind of the slow melting of snow. But you could get icy patches in the middle of the road without any real connection because the ice or the snow melted dropped down from above in some way. And this is particularly true in cities and such. And then refroze there. And then dew or fog can actually be the source of black ice. So it could have gone away by that point, the dew or the fog, by the time you come through. So all those things are really important to know about how black ice itself forms. So a couple tips for driving safely through black ice. First of all, go slow and steady. Just like driving in snow, you want to go slowly and steady over patches of what you might think is black ice. Unlike snow, which still has some traction for your tires, black ice is completely smooth and tires won't stick at all. As a result, it can be difficult to stop if you're going too fast. When you reach a patch of black ice, take your foot off the accelerator immediately. Also, keep your steering wheel straight as you go through it to hopefully just get to the other side. A lot of times the patches of black ice aren't that big, so you can get to the other side. Second, avoid pumping your brakes or braking at all. Brakes can normally be your best friend in driving emergencies, but not on black ice skids. When you hit black ice, let off the brake before your tires make contact or as soon as you know. And then if you feel like you're going a little too fast, you can try pumping a little bit. But um, in general, it's better not to hit your brakes at all because you can go into a skid and lose control. Third thing is knowing how to handle a skid if you get in one. So typically... The biggest problem in handling a skid is overcorrecting. And by overcorrecting, you can send the car into a spin. So you don't want to do that. So you want to gently turn your car into the skid while pumping the brakes if you start to skid. As the skid brakes, return the steering wheel to normal. Once your tires get traction again, you'll be able to correct your direction from there. Fourth thing to know is that in general, studded tires, no chains, and four-wheel drive won't help in black ice. Again, it's because it's uh, almost a frictionless surface. So all those things are meant to enhance friction. But in the case of black ice, they more than likely won't help. 
And last is to watch the temperatures. Like Beth would uh, warn me and the, and the kids when they were driving to watch out for black ice it's because she knew that it was going to be cold that morning or water or snow or ice had melted and refroze. So she wanted us to be aware that there might be black ice in the road and try to avoid potential spots as much as we could. Again, be vigilant. That's right. So over 150,000 car crashes occur every year due to icy pavement. And over 550 people die in these crashes. That means in a given year, black ice claims more lives than salmonella poisoning, which kills 400 people every year. So just be aware and be vigilant and be careful in driving out there. Absolutely. So I will say we've had a couple, at least I've had a couple instances of black ice. One was um, we were going, this is years and years ago. As a family, we were going to church. And we went on one of those back roads that tend to not get a lot of sunlight. And it had snowed. And there was just a patch of black ice. And I remember Dad, he was able to control the car. So in this case, you're saying I was driving. Yes. Yes. But it went, we were going, one side was a ditch. The other side was a bank. So I remember heading toward the bank and I was thinking... Okay, okay, we're going to hit a bank. And then it would, then it kind of shifted. It's like, oh, we're going into a ditch. And then it was like, oh, no, we're going to a bank. And then it was like, okay, he got it. Like, he got it was uh, down again. Christmas Eve heading to church. Yeah. <laughs> on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And again, it's all about driving into the skid because we hit a patch on a curvy road. So there was no roll going straight through it. And it wasn't black ice, it was just ice. Uh, oh, it really? was, yeah, it was just a long patch of ice. So I was, you know, fighting into multiple turns because it, it the, <laughs> the road itself as turned. As possible. And, right, I had to try to follow the road as much as I could. Um, I do remember my first wreck as a kid, first driving like 16, 17, was going down a hill on black ice and I just ran into the embankment. So it wasn't really damaging or anything, but that was scary. So I remember when I was teaching you guys how to drive, I tried to find ice when I could, for you to get the feel of what it was like for your vehicle to be completely out of control That's while you're driving it. that you say that, though, because um, when I started working, this is like after college and stuff, I did hit a patch of black ice. I'm not sure if I ever told you, but... And it was around this huge turn. Yeah. And it was um, super early in the morning, like 5, 6 in the morning, and it was completely dark out. And we had had snow, but it was me in another car, and I could just all of a sudden feel my car heading to the other car mm-hmm. and it was so scary i managed to get out of it but i went on onto the side of the road like off of the road itself and just had to sit there and just kind of calm myself down because it was like wow that was yeah. super scary yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you think of yourself always in control when you're driving your car but yeah. uh, you realize that, that it's a huge machine mm-hmm. and if you're not in control you know you need to figure out how do you get back into control right um, so i encourage drivers even if your kids are in driver's education if you can take your kids to like a parking lot or a road that doesn't have a lot of cars on it that has ice on it just to give them a a safe feel for what it means to be out of control with your car and how to get back into control experience is the best you know i can tell you about it but unless you feel it yeah um you you don't really understand it as well so definitely uh, yes so i encourage you to uh, be careful driving out there our future festivities are for the week of February 22nd. February 22nd is George Washington's birthday. 
February 23rd is National Banana Bread Day. I think because George liked it. That's why it's the next day. <laughs> I, think so. I have no idea. Um, February 24th is National Tortilla Chip Day. Also one of George's favorites. Not not true. Not historically accurate. <laughs> no, not historically accurate. <laughs> February 25th, National Toast Day. February 26th, Pistachio Day. Not mustachio. Pistachio. Pistachio, the nut. February 27th is Polar Bear Day. <gasps> Polar bears, they thrive in the snow. That's right. And February 28th is National Tooth Fairy Day. You can follow us on social media. On Twitter, we're at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, we're at holiday moons, all one word. And you can find us on Facebook by searching holiday moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can contact us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Sydney, Beth, and Randy... Happy winter and safe driving. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away is the bluebird. Here to stay is a new bird He sings a love song as we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is Parson Brown He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man But you can do the job when you're in town Later on We'll conspire as we dream by the fire To face unafraid the plans that we've made Walking in a winter wonderland Sleigh bells ring Are you listening? In the lane Snow is glistening A beautiful sight We're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland the bluebird Here to stay is a new bird He sings a love song As we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow We can build a snowman And pretend that he's a circus clown We'll have lots of fun with Mr. Snowman Yes, until the other kiddies knock him down Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire To face unafraid the plans that we've made Walking in a winter wonderland Walking in a winter wonderland